Welcome back to the podcast, guys. It's Take, as always, for WhiskeyRaiders.com. We've got an awesome episode. But first, how are you doing, John? Good to see you. Good to see you too, buddy. I'm doing very well. Excited about what we got in front of us tonight. I've got some things poured out. I, I might have poured a little more than we have, like more than we really needed <laughs> for this episode. But uh, we can just sort of split that up and maybe we'll talk about some of it at another time. Yeah, I definitely poured heavy for this episode too because it feels like I've been dreaming for this episode for years now before I even knew I wanted it. And it's finally here. So I'm definitely going to enjoy that. So uh, guys, thanks for joining us. It is the Whiskey Raiders podcast as always. It's another week, which means we have more whiskey. Last week I was on the road. We kind of called it a drought. We talked about whiskey. We didn't really drink much whiskey. But this week, we have some serious whiskey to drink. So tonight, we're going to go ahead and go through. We've got the new Bernheim Barrel Proof. We also have Heaven Hills Heritage Collection, the second edition. This is that 20-year corn whiskey at Barrel Proof. Uh, This episode is not sponsored by Heaven Hill. These both came in. Uh, We were super excited about them and for good reason. And tonight, we've also got three kind of big heavy hitters on uh, on, on the news side. We've got some... A couple of lawsuits. We've got some, maybe some criminal shenanigans, and then also the new batch of barrel, uh, barrel bourbon. So let's go ahead and dive on in. Uh, which one should we drink fucking first? Criminals. <laughs> Those guys are up to anything these days. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, so I've got them poured out in the order of the new Heaven Hill Heritage Collection 20 year corn whiskey as the first in the lineup. All right, I can work with that. I've got it poured here as well. I was just pouring myself. Now, to a number of folks who say, why the hell would Heaven Hill follow up last year? And last year was a 17-year... That one was a 17-year single... It wasn't single barrel, but it was barrel proof, right? That's right. It was damn good. This was basically the whiskey that was made to take down George T. Stagg, if I'm not mistaken. So... Uh, last year was a 17-year bourbon. It released for $279. Uh, this year, we have a 20-year corn whiskey. Interestingly enough, it's going to MSRP at $289. Um, and it's at you know 57.5% ABV. But uh, this, most people are basically going to con- compare to mellow corn, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at 80% corn, 12% malted barley, 8% rye. I mean, this is kind of right up there with everything that we've been screaming for of like, I mean, the only thing holding this back is like, let's do this in a single barrel and then let us pick it and it'll be the best thing ever. It It's strange to me because, you know, last year that really stood on its own. That 17 year bourbon, we we're like, yeah, this is going to be hot because that's what people want. Kentucky bourbon, 17 years, barrel proof, really signature packaging. I can't tell if this year people are going to be pumped because this is 20 year corn whiskey or because it's a 20-year version of basically the the biggest meme whiskey around, which is Mellow Corn, which is, I think, like four years in a day because it's bottled in bond and like $19. Um, right. So Very I, much I more like, focused in the budget segment than the Heritage Collection. Right. It's like balling on a budget, but you have a budget for once because you can spend almost $300. And I, what I think I'm curious about, and then we'll get tasting, is like, what the secondary on this is going to do? Like, is this going to go to two thousand dollars like last year's released it, or is it gonna is it gonna go down? Is it gonna be like two hundred fifty bucks? People are like, oh, mellow corn, man. Yeah, high end mellow corn almost sounds like an oxymoron, but it's also one of those things that sounds super interesting. I mean, this is up there with like 
your uh, wish list for years, you know, this and then a uh, something else that we'll get to next in our tastings here actually <laughs> have been like the things that you've been demanding. And here they are right in front of us. I, I just like, I can't help. Well, I mean, I've already been sipping it, but like, I can't help. I want to get right into these. Yeah. I mean, from the trailer park to the penthouse, let's just dive right on in. This is 20 year corn whiskey. Corn whiskey can only use a used cooperage. So this has been sitting for 20 years in, in a barrel that was either not charred or it held something else first. And boy, is this sweet on the nose. This is yeah, very oh, sweet. It, it like reaches right up there, slaps you around a little bit. It's got a, like a cool kind of like, it's like a soft fruitiness to it really jumps out there. Obviously a big slap of like buttered popcorn kind of deal, but it is like sweet and glazed, like a kettle corn kind of thing almost. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was thinking uh, my wife buys this like popcorn trail mix called boom chicka pop. It's like basically caramel corn, but really sweet. And it has like maybe a butterscotch element to it. This is that the corn comes through not like a gross canned corn kind of way but it's pure butterscotch and boy though for under 60 percent abv this thing is ripping this boy is hot it is hot it drinks if like if you had told me to take a stab at the proof on this i'd be shooting 125 or higher Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is definitely up there as that proof kick fades a little bit though it really does bring in like just waves of flavor it's not incredibly deep or complex but it's doing like a lot of a lot of work really fast and holds on really good. Actually, the finish is pretty long. It's big, sweet. I get good layers of white fruits and stuff in there. It's kind of where it stops for me, at least at this point, as it sits in the glass here a little bit. Uh, I'll see if it evolves more. But uh, my initial thoughts are like, it's kind of cool. Like, I think it's probably going to end up being something that's priced out of where I would want to pay for a fairly simple and pretty hot whiskey. <laughs> But it does taste good. This kind of reminds me of all those light whiskeys that come down from Canada. And people are like, yeah, you know, it's it's high proof and high age statement. And it's really not that expensive. And you drink it and it tastes like pancake syrup and ethanol and that's it. Um, and, and usually those come with also the added benefit of them being like screaming high proof, like a hazmat or something. At 57.5% ABV, this is not that hazmat guy, but it... It's big and bold, and it's kind of a one-hit wonder in the sense that, like, this is mellow corn, and it tastes older, and it tastes bigger and bolder. But beyond that, like, there's nothing else. Like, this is a one-instrument band. This is, like, one guy with a synthesizer, like, trying to do a bunch of different things. But really, it's all corn. It's corn from start to finish to top to bottom from tip to tail. It tastes tastes like corn dialed up to 11. Yeah. I mean, there's more than one way that you can look at the one person or one instrument band, right? I mean, Dave Grohl recorded the entire first Foo Fighters album by himself, and he was every instrument. And that worked out great. Is that this? I don't really think so. I just wanted to bring that up because when you said one one instrument, it made me think instantly of that. But in the the whiskey world, it's it's not a great, it's not a great feature. As it might I mean, be in uh, the musical world, right? Usually you follow a sentence like that up with a qualifier. You say, this is really straightforward. It's kind of one-noted. It's a little bit hot, but it's full of flavor. And you know what? It's an incredible value. Like that's where that qualifier usually comes in. Like it right. does all these things pretty well and nothing exceptionally well, but hey, it's super cheap and you can find it. And my concern here 
I don't think this is going to be either of those things. Like, I don't think it's going to stay at MSRP and I don't think it's going to be particularly easy to find. And while I'm enjoying it, last year was a stunner. This one, I think, is one for the inside baseball crowd. This one's one for the nerds and and the kids who have always wanted that mellow corn dialed up. But uh, last year takes the cake for me far and away. Yeah, I mean, and don't get me wrong with this because there are going to be folks that love this. Oh, yeah. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it. I feel like it is a little hot and fairly straightforward, Mm -hmm. but it's got a, a great finish, hangs on a long time, has a lot of good good characteristics while it sits there on the palate, moves through some really great sweet layers, you know, fruitiness, savoriness, like we talked about with the corn layers and stuff. But I think there is a smaller niche for this whiskey than there was the 17-year bourbon. Oh, for sure. And I, I that's kind of why I led in with, I'm curious what secondary will do, because this is for the people who will immediately overpay for things I think are cool. And right. Really, Mellow Corn had some single barrels a long time ago. A very small corner of Reddit still kind of like circle jerks around Mellow Corn. But ultimately, it's a small, very ragtag, potentially vocal bunch based on if they're all awake at the same time. So I'm I'm really curious. Like, I like this. I think it's so cool they did it. Like, they took the the sophomore slot of a brand new product line. And we're like, eh, you know what? Let's just do the thing that people have been asking for. Like, we're not really good at listening to consumers, but uh, this time we'll just, we'll just send it full send. Like this is, I know have, or uh, whistle pig released the pit Viper collab, like art, uh, I guess the TTB released it, but right. Barring that, if I had to like picture a whiskey that like ran in the door and like slapped a wet towel and was wearing pit vipers and just like, like hollered really loud, this is what that would be to me. Does it have a mullet in that scenario? Oh, yeah. It has two yeah. mullets. Okay, yeah. yeah. No, this all checks out. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I'm with I you. Think that's this really, is weird. Yeah, this is, like I said, from the trailer park to the penthouse, this is weird whiskey with class. I think it's really cool. I think ultimately that's where it's going to land for me. Like, this is cool. I'm glad it exists. It is cool. It's not my favorite whiskey, uh, but it's not bad. It, it's really fun. Yeah. I mean, if this was something from a smaller producer that you would have to strip away the age statement for it to even come close to making sense. But if a smaller producer were rolling something like this out at like 75 bucks and it was like, even if it was like, I don't know, half the age, 10 year, 10 year corn whiskey that was coming through at barrel proof. Like I'd be like, you know what? That's kind of cool. Like I'll have one on the bar because there will be a time that I need to take that out and use it for something. (laughs) But at, Nearly 300 bones. I'm probably not an enthusiastic buyer. Yeah, this is... I I briefly considered overpaying on secondary for that first edition, that 17-year bourbon, and I didn't, which I'm, I'm kind of still disappointed. I didn't back when it was at like a grand and now it's at like two grand. But this is going to be, you know, MSRP's 290. I'd probably pay like up to 305 and then be like, well, let's not get carried away. Yeah, let's not overdo <laughs> it here. Uh, but I mean, on the other hand though, is a whiskey that I would absolutely get carried away by. And I, and I sort of have at this point, I have wanted this whiskey. Some people actually sent us the TTB release or a Virginia ABC actually kind of leaked that this product was coming because they put the skew online before they ever received it. And so many people emailed you and I and were like, did you guys will this product into existing? (laughs) Did you guys know ahead of time this was coming? 
And I like felt some pride for that. And of course, we are talking about Bernheim's original uh, wheat whiskey, but this time it's a barrel proof. We don't have an age statement, but it's a barrel proof. Like this is the yeah. thing I have wanted. We've talked up that seven-year, $30 Bernheim wheat whiskey uh, for literally years now, whether it's been on the pod here or at Whiskey Raiders or my own Twitter, or whatever. But like if the barrel proof is here and it's almost 60% ABV, like this is everything I've ever wanted. It really is like down to the letter. So I feel like at this point, if you don't absolutely love this, then it's a, a total swing and a miss because this was custom made specifically for you. I mean, you know that I'm a Heaven Hill insider. I know everything that they're doing all the time. And <laughs> I specifically heard come through that grapevine that Jay was gifted a magic wand to use one night only on Christmas. And in that Christmas episode of their podcast, and they were talking about what they would do with that, he wished for this. So let's just make it for him. It will make his year. It'll obviously be something that he's going to buy 50 bottles of. So let's just do it. And so here we are uh, getting to enjoy the fruits of your wishes. So cheers to you, bud. Man, that's a fun visual. I picture there's like two stockings and one of them is make bookers $50 again. And the other one is Bernheim barrel proof, but Santa was in the way of the booker stocking. So I was like, eh, True. Fuck it, you know, but I mean, 51% wheat. This is a barely legal wheat whiskey, 37% corn, 12% malted barley. The best part of this is it suggested retail is $65. And this weeded it. puppy is a uh, 59.4% ABV. It, it is a dream come true. It's a, a wheat gangster's paradise, I guess. But man, smelling this, I already love it. Yeah, it does. It knows it's very nice. This is something that you could swirl and just get get right down to business with this thing for hours, I think. It's really yeah. just jumps out of the glass. A lot of good layers. It doesn't really like, I'm not like getting a huge ethanol punch in the nose on this, which is nice for the proof it is. This is sneaky whiskey. This is like Sly Cooper. Oh, man. Like on the nose, it's got the perfect amount of oak and sweetness. Like I was kind of afraid that this would be pure dessert with nothing to hold it right. accountable, nothing like hold it back. It'd be like butterscotch candies until you die or, you know, you're like insulin levels go through the roof. But like this is sweet, but then that oak comes through on the nose, on the palate, like it's big and rich, like it's bold. It's like, oh, it's just like creme brulee all day long. Yeah, it is. It's definitely rich. Uh, it comes through right up front with a nice kick of that, like not maple, but like kind of like a pancake syrup. Mm -hmm. sweetness uh white fruits i'm talking like uh, a little bit of like red apple even some of like the golden golden delicious apples there like here yellow apple style a little bit of that kind of going on and then that oak spice kind of elevates everything takes those sweet notes brings it up into a darker richer perspective that uh really kind of hangs on too like it's got i mean while this is damn near 120 proof it is really just kind of like more approachable than you would think for something that's definitely hot. And like this doesn't, I mean, this isn't like it's sipping like at 100 proof or anything. I mean, it's still coming through right. with plenty of heat, but it's all kind of working together in conjunction with the different flavors in it. it it's pretty nice, to be honest with you. Yeah, it, it's really sippable. What I, I think you nailed it there where like it drinks underproof, like not outrageously. Like you're not going to drink this and think it's bottled in bond or whatever, but this drinks more like, more like I kind of thought that 110, 115 proof would. Yeah. And really, this guy is just shy of 120. Like, this could really sneak up. I'm curious for cocktails, but I really just want to drink this neat all night long. Like, it, it's just butterscotchy brown butter. It's, it's really just buttery, buttery, buttery. Uh, but it's got a, a lot of nice oak on the back, like on the palate and the finish that 
really keep it balanced. And the, I think the finish might actually be the star of this one for me. Like Bernheim normally is just a little flat on the finish and this just carries for so long. Okay. I think that's probably going to be the dividing line on us there. I mean, I think the finish is fine. But to me, I don't think it stood out quite so much as that initial like front palette kind of like slap in the face of like, here's mm-hmm. all the flavor you asked for, asshole. Now get fucking <laughs> ready for us to cram this right down your cram hole. And that kind of jumps out really fast, has a lot of good layers to it. And so like, whereas I thought the uh, 20 year heritage collection was a little bit on the, no, not, not even a little bit. I mean, it was fairly straightforward. Uh, two-dimensional, perhaps, you could say. Like, not a ton going on. I feel like this takes another step further down that road. It's still not incredibly complex, but it does have a lot of good good layers, good flavors going on. And I really like how the oak balances out. Like, it, I find it weird that they didn't age-state this. So, I mean, I would assume that means it's under seven years old because the flagship Bernheim says seven right on it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, so on the side, it says seven to nine years mingled together. So no oh, okay. formal age statement, but, you know. With the Elijah like, Craig route. Or or the larceny, the larceny barrel proof where they say six to eight. Right. True. Okay. Which I'm good with that either way. I just thought it was a little bit interesting that it wasn't like a number in on there. But right. I guess it makes sense. Uh, they still put the information on the side. And it also makes a little bit more sense to me because the reason I was surprised it didn't have a seven on it is because to me, this tasted like it had some older layers into it. Like this has more oak than I would have expected a Bernheim to carry. So right. that's what's for that to have too. shown up, I was kind of like, whoa, okay. This is, like you said, it's not just all butterscotch till you die. And <laughs> it does get balanced out with good oak, a little kick of spice with that. And then you get kind of like that uh, cracked wheat bread with butter on top vibe that I, like, I can always tell like when a wheat whiskey is hitting that level it's usually when you're just like, hey, man, you got to have this. It's good. <laughs> so I think this does it. This checks off a lot of boxes. And for SRP of 65 bucks, I think that this is, I mean, this will probably be the year of wheat whiskeys being the damn thing. So rolling this one out, I think it's going to set a pretty high bar for the competition to like try to beat this flavor wise for a price that's going to be damn near impossible for most producers to hit. Right. I'm right there with you. I think that this is going to be the year of wheat whiskey just because A, I want it to be. And B, because I think consumers finally are like, oh, wheat whiskey isn't some weird compromise. It's just an undeveloped category. And honestly, this is great. And to me, what really excites me is that recently it's become pretty hard to get larceny barrel proof locally to the point where I kind of have to be like, "Ah, you know, I hate to ask, but I'm a pretty good customer. Can I have that one thing? And I promise it's not Pappy. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, here's your favor. Everyone's still, I think, going to be hunting Larceny Barrel Proof and Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. I mean, like, you know, give me some of that Bernheim. And hopefully yeah. there's a few less people hunting for that because, like, this this scratches the itch that I've always wanted Larceny to. But Larceny's always been a little, you know, it, it's always been great. Like, I love it. But this, to me, drinks a little bit better. Like, this climbs high for me in a way that's fun and unique and different and, and really just easy to drink. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think this is going to be a really successful release for them too. So it will be very curious to see, A, when it finally gets to Maine, and B, how, (laughs) like, as this slowly starts to hit more and more states retail, I'm excited to see, like, where this is popping up and what people are thinking of it too. Because I think for a lot of folks, this could be, like, sort of the first, you know, first dive into the wheat whiskey pool. And it might be a little bit, either like strange, weird or awesome. So I'm excited to see where that goes. 
Yeah, that, and that's a good point. Folks, if if you see this for MSRP or just a buck or two over, put down that weird thing you were going to try that's not this and pick this up. And, and most importantly, we would love to hear from you. you drop me a line at, you know, at whiskeyraiders.com for an email. You can find us on Weekly Whiskey on socials or YouTube or Instagram or, or Whiskey Raiders or whatever. Uh, pick it up. Let me know what you think because I do think that this will be a big year for wheat and not a lot of people have experimented with it before, but now there's just no reason not to. Pick it up. Give it a go. If you don't like it, I'll take your bottle for you. I'll make that promise because I, I foresee go. drinking a good deal of this in my future. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board with that. Absolutely. Uh, what do you say we move on and dive into some news? We got a little bit of news that happened over the, this is, the last oh, recording oh, session. A weird, judicious, litigious week uh, for whiskey over the last week or two. Yeah, let, let's take our Glenn Cairns go over, look over. Um, the first one I think worth covering here is the fact that Sazerac who previously was kind of just in the news for Pappy here and there, just cannot seem to stay out of court. They're being sued um, again, if you guys remember, a couple of weeks ago, they were in a class action lawsuit regarding uh, kind of deceptive labeling on Fireball minis. And now they're back for Southern Comfort, which is not something I realize people still drank at all. Well, okay, so Southern Comfort is one of those like weird and interesting brands, right? It's been around forever. Right. This is like... Oh, geez, I don't know, like 1870 or so, like originated a long time ago. <laughs> and this is one of those brands that has like kind of died and come back a few times over the years. Sure. Uh, and so originally it was developed as a liqueur that was based with whiskey. So they would elevate the flavors in a way that they thought was appropriate using whiskey as a base spirit. They then, you know, as the uh, brand evolved and got passed around. It landed with Brown Foreman for a while. And they were just like, you know, we're just going to use neutral grain spirit instead. Like, no one needs to know the difference. Like, instead of whiskey, we'll just do it our way. And then Sazerac bought it. I want to say it was in the 2015-16 range. Sazerac bought it. And they changed it back. They were like, hey, uh, this should be a whiskey-based product. Oh, that's right. So there's like a good evolution to it. Like, the story behind it could be cool, except for now Sazerac is doing who knows what with it, right? Right. And I, I think what's ultimately was an intelligent move by Sazerac is kind of backfiring here. And for that, we need to kind of dig into the analysis side just a little bit, right? So in a lot of states, you can sell certain products in grocery stores or gas stations or I don't know, anything that's not a liquor store. But if you want to sell hard liquor, you have to sell that in a separate store. And that obviously takes business away from grocery stores and gas stations. And so Sazerac said, well, gee, we would like to really put these big volume items. I mean, Fireball and SoCo are huge sellers for the brand. Let's go ahead and, and make a version of that that we can sell in gas stations. And that's going to have, uh, you know, it's it's basically going to go from a, a liqueur or a grain neutral spirit, like a hard alcohol in flavoring to something like a malt beverage or a malt, like a, a kind of a brewed kind of thing. I want to say the Sazerac one was made from grapes. So they basically are, are creating like a, like a wine or a beer that's very neutral and that they add the flavorings. And those are much lower ABV. In this case, it's 14% less. The 21% version was in the gas stations. 35% was in the stores. Um, and, and people were upset that they thought they were getting the high-proof liquor store version from the gas station. And that's kind of the basis for the lawsuit. But ultimately, kind of a brilliant idea, right? Like, let's sell our most popular product in more places uh, but consumers did not read the fine print whatsoever and apparently are not so pleased. Yeah. I mean, you don't weigh in, you don't wrestle, man. Like it's one of those deals where if, if you're not 
you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's somewhere along the way is going to bite you in the ass. And I mean, I guess that could be applied to either side of the story, right? Is, right. is the consumer, you know, who's not actually paying attention to the problem or is the company shifting things around to try to further their sales and growth? Or, or are they the ones that are kind of taking it too far? Yeah, we'll have to kind of follow this one. I, from my own personal standpoint, and I don't know, like I'm not a lawyer. I don't deal with this stuff in the day in the day. I think they'd probably have more of an issue if they replace the high proof liquor based version with the lower proof one and like try to pass it off in gas stations and liquor stores is the same. Like the fact that they released a new product with a different formulation to reach a new target market, you know, that probably I think kind of helps out the intention part of this, but. You know, we'll kind of see. the The key is though that Sazerac now is in their third lawsuit between the uh, the fight they're having with their uh, old distributor RNDC and the Fireball class action lawsuit. Now we get to throw some Soco in the mix, and I guess life always did get more interesting when Soco was involved. Yeah, that and Fireball. Uh, it's <laughs> also, I think, just further evidence that you should just be drinking actual whiskey. Stay away from the bullshit whiskey. Stay away from. Anything that's got sugar added, if it's not 80 proof or higher, you probably don't fucking need it. Right. And that's a good reminder, folks. If you're drinking bourbon and it says bourbon on the label, there's no uh, coloring, flavoring, sugars, dyes, shenanigans. So, uh, you know, and you'll uh, you'll save yourself a couple grams of sugar, too. And this is a perfect segue. Uh, we've also tonight, Oregon folks are in hot water Again, another Sazerac product. It turns out that Oregon government officials were abusing power to give themselves better access to Pappy. I mean, a good idea. Let's be Brilliant, honest. Even. Uh, and they got away with it for a long time. <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't for this, those meddling kids. Those goddamn kids always fucking it up. <laughs> I think part of what bites them here is that they seem to be complacent. Is what it right. sounds like. I mean, in reading some of the stories that have hit, it seems an awful lot like, yeah, we get away with this for a really long time. It doesn't really seem to be a big deal. Nobody really cares that much. So if I need to pick up some Elmer T. Lee or if I need, you know, a case of Pappy Reserve for me to pick up later on, no big deal. We'll just get away with that. No, And this is something that like what sucks the most about this story breaking is how many folks in control states are now going to be like, I knew they were doing that shit in my town or in my oh, state. Like, yeah. you know, so many, there's going to be an awful lot of fingers pointed, I think, after this. Like, well, hey, if they were doing it there for that long, they've probably been doing it here forever, too. And I think there's going to be an awful lot of uh, tinfoil coming out for this one. Oh, man. I mean, the whiskey industry already was just so full of tinfoil. And I, I think there's an interesting point to this, too, where the downfall of this was folks basically being like, well, they didn't notice the first time. And when you do that, and you, they don't notice the second, third, or fourth time, all you've created is more opportunities for someone to notice. And boy, right. boy, did they notice. I mean, Steve Marks, who was the executive director of the OLCC, which, interestingly enough, uh, covers both liquor and cannabis, has basically been asked to step down. He got himself some Pappy Van Winkle. Uh, ironically, he paid for it. He didn't steal it. He just gave right. himself access to buy it. But you're totally right. I mean... Everyone who's ever missed out on a Weller or a Lot B or anything anywhere is just going to assume that the reason they're not getting anything is not due to a huge supply-demand you know, misbalance, but because the, the guys in power are getting all the good stuff. Yeah. I mean, especially when you start looking at uh, some of the things come out that say, like, he had an annual salary of over $220,000. You're going to have a lot of people who are saying, should I wait in line for 
six hours to buy one of these bottles at retail. And this fucking guy who's making a quarter million dollars a year is having it set aside for, you know, him and other managers and directors and other people who are being paid to manage this shit. You know, it's kind of a, it's a slap in the face to people, I think. Oh yeah. And, and I totally get it. Like we are not above this at all. Like it is an out, it, it's kind of an outrage and, and we've seen it on both sides, like over in Virginia where employees were selling access to know where the drops were going to happen at the different stores. Like it, it truly has shown how much uh, bourbon craze has just infiltrated almost every level of society. And now like being a bourbon nut isn't just some weird niche corner of the internet. Like this is, it's well known, it's popular. The people see the dollar signs, no matter how close or far away from it you are, which is kind of an interesting commentary on, on bourbon in general. It is absolutely. There's a lot of different pieces to this that like, I think the one that, like you mentioned that it was a a bit of an outrage, like this is something that kind of stood out to me. Like, okay, I could see for sure why something like this could have happened or why there is room for this to happen. You have somebody who's like the executive director of this entire branch. They should by every right see from the top down how the whole operation works, meaning they would know when, bottles arrive, they would know which bottles are extremely popular. Right. And they would have access to do something like this. Then at the same time, it's just like, man, the, uh, I think the other part about it that frustrates me is when you see that it's like a state or uh, like a control state on what comes in and everything. It's just like, ah, no, like this is something that is going to make so many waves. And I think that like that alone, like just the, the room for this to grow mm-hmm. drives me nuts because I just hate see like there's so many great positive things that could be happening. And it's like, realistically, this is a very small case. Like you're talking a handful of people in right. one government organizational structure or one state's organizational structure was able to bend some rules that like, let's be honest, this has probably happened dozens of times in other areas, but it's not like this was going on for over eight years. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, that's getting to the point of like borderline like Sopranos bullshit. Like, yeah, I know a guy who works at the state liquor commission. He'll get me some pappy delivered today. Don't worry about it. Like, come on guys. Like this just, it's such a bad look. Man, for Halloween, I want to go as like a cross between Mad Men and like the O, like the OLCC from Oregon. (laughs) But like, yeah. Have a trench that. coat and every 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 like pocket in the trench coat has an empty pappy bottle and be like, oh sorry, we uh we uh, we drank it yeah, all, we, but you know we uh we diverted these for our own personal use. So I'm sorry about that. And a final note, like, dude, if you make a quarter of a million, like you're making 220k, just go buy it on secondary. Like right. Like be smart, cover your nose. Now you're making nothing. Well, except unemployment, maybe, uh, because you uh you lost your job over it. <laughs> Yeah, there was a number of people also reprimanded in that same uh, organization, organizational structure too, I think. So it's, it's just, again, a tough look overall for Oregon. And I mean, like, Brian. hey, if they were fucking around with the Pappy, what were they doing with the cannabis? Okay. Right. I mean, the one thing we know is that Barefoot Wine is the safest product of all because nobody wants that stuff. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, and I mean, I think that this is a perfect jumping off point too to our final segment for something that I think a whole lot of people are going to want. And that is the release of Barrel Bourbon's newest batch. It's batch 34. 
it feels like I blinked and turned around and it was just the other day when they were breaking the double digits. But Batch 34 is here from uh, arguably the most like audacious whiskey blenders we know of today. Uh, what do you got for us, John? I can think of very few that do the blending, finishing, like NDP side of whiskey. Even, I don't even want to say better. I say there's very few that can do it even close to on the same level as Barrel. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, they just really, they just kick the shit out of them, man. They, they have the ingredients, they have the recipes, and they know how to put it all together to make it just come out great. I'm super pumped to see Batch 34 come out. And this is also, uh, like, as the brand is growing here, too, we're seeing that they're stepping up these age statements a little bit. This is going to be a 6 to 15-year range and the batches in it or, or i'm sorry of the barrels in it so i'm like really pumped to see how this goes because they start adding in those older barrels you really start to see the depth come into the releases more and i mean their price hasn't moved and geez i don't know if it's ever moved actually for the batches it's always been 90 it's always been i think between 80 to 90 80 to 90 i want to say that last year was like 84.99 but okay. i also um am prone to mix stuff up because i <laughs> I bought my last one at 80 and I thought it was a great deal. I, I want to say 85 last year. So 90 this year feels pretty fair. The biggest question I think for me will be the fact that this is coming from Tennessee, Kentucky, and Indiana. And I do like that Tennessee component. And I know you're you're a little more on the fence based on the age and how it's blended, but I do right. have some hope. Uh, Barrel is saying that this is starting as a high corn eight year, kind of like that big base, that spine. And their, their well-aged high corn stuff is just killing it. I did some single barrels yeah. of their high corn around eight years last year. And man, that stuff was just like like just jazz in a whiskey glass. So I, I have high hopes here, but I'm curious what you're going to think of that Tennessee component once again. Yeah, it's going to really depend. So like in the batches in the early 20s, like say batch, maybe even 22 or 23, geez, it might have been both of them, really kind of like started out for me like, oh, okay, I like where this is going. And then it's like, ah, uh, too much of that Tennessee and it's throwing off the balance for me. Like, and that's just the way I, I'm just sensitive to that, uh, that Dickel whiskey. I don't like what it does <laughs> a, a lot of times. There are times that I do, but it's, those are usually the rare ones. But if we start looking back at the batches in the higher 20s and 30s, I feel like that balance shifted a lot. Like, Batch 31 was in my whiskeys of the year. I mean, it was it, it was hands down my favorite batch so far of all the barrels that we've tried, which we've tried like a lot of stuff from barrel. I yeah. think that that one stood out a ton to me so much that like when I went by, like it was when 32 was out, I was rolling through the liquor store. I was like, oh, they have a batch 31 still on the shelf. I'm just going to grab that because <laughs> I know there will be a time that I want to have another one of these. So. I mean, yeah, put it that way. That's my endorsement on these. I think that as these have come up in the age a little bit here, they're leaning less on the Tennessee components, or at least blending in a way that caters more to me, who isn't a fan of the Dickel whiskey. Yeah, I'm with you. I really super loved Batch 33, so I'm kind of like coming off of that metaphorical high of like, oh man, that was so good. Yeah, 33 um, but was great. 30 but you and I side by side, 32 and 33, and 32 actually kind of came out as the winner in the blind. So really... Yep. As long as they can keep the momentum they have, uh, releasing a six to fifteen year blend for ninety bucks, it's barrel proof. It's fifty seven in change. I want to say fifty seven point three one percent ABV. If my brain is not broken, like on paper, this looks like another cool release. They haven't done 
and I don't know that they've ever done it, but like a lot of brands start with some high H statement thing and then drop it way low later on, like right. three, four, five, six years. Like, and the price either stays the same or goes up. Right. It gets half as old for twice the price. <laughs> yeah. Which is um, not ideal. But yeah, I think what Merrill's been doing with these is good. I mean, they're definitely not a cheap bottle. Like, don't have this be the like next thing you go buy if you're usually spending in the twenty to forty dollar segment. Like, by all means stay oh, yeah. there. There's a lot of work to do in that range before you start reaching for these. Or, you know, save it for a special occasion. Like, hey, this is that next step up bottle for me. I want to give it a whirl. You'll be happy with these. They're all good. So I think yeah. it's a good way good way to go. But yeah, I'm pumped about this. Uh, we'll probably be reviewing this one, I would think, in the next couple of weeks, too. It should be landing pretty soon. Yeah, Barrel Barrel has always been good. They they clue us in on this kind of stuff after it drops, and they usually let us taste it. So expect that in a follow-up episode. But yeah, to kind of echo the point, if, you, if you've got 90 bucks to spend, like these have become fairly safe bets if you like to try new things, right? Like if you always want something that tastes the same, uh, this product line is not for you because every batch is very different. But true, uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I think that kind of wraps up. This has just been exciting whiskey from start to finish between 20-year corn and barrel-proof wheat. And now we've got the new barrel, which to me is always kind of like the first batch of the new year is like when the the year really kicks off for me. It's like, okay, cool. Like, you know, because everyone takes December and January really off from new product releases. And here we've got barrel just striking it up. Yeah, it's great. I like where they're going with it. I can't wait to see what the hell they do for limited editions this year too. It's it, that I don't even understand how these guys come up with half of their stuff, but I I am always excited about it. And like you said, they usually let us try everything they do, which is super fun, and we're super lucky to be able to get to try them and get to share it with uh, the listeners here. So, dear listener, this is for you, right? And uh, you know, if you if you try this as well, we'd love to hear it. But we're wrapping up. A very juicy episode. We are, you know, deep into season two at this point of the Whiskey Readers podcast. We've got a lot of cool episodes coming up as well. Uh, next week, we'll be trying Heaven's Door Bootleg, which is another one of those kind of crazy $500 whiskeys. So stick with us there. But in the meantime, guys, if you're looking for more from John, you can find him at thebourbonfinder.com because he is the bourbon finder. As always, guys, I am Take from whiskeyreaders.com. Uh, check us out. We've got reviews of all of these. I will have them up in the coming days as we kind of do our final taste. We get those scores up. I know you guys will enjoy that. And as always, we'd love if you shared this with a friend. Uh, thanks again for joining us on the podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Uh, cheers, folks. Cheers. <laughs>